Welcome to Table Radio. This is the second theme in our Rooted series, Transforming Faith. The following is Andy's sermon from our Big Table service on Sunday, October 11th. Enjoy! reading for tonight comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. We're continuing on in our series called Rooted. We're going back to our roots. The table is 10 years old, and so we thought, let's go back and remember what we're doing. Why we're doing what we're doing. What's our foundations? What's our DNA? How do we dig into this and, um, and be transformed by these roots? So last month, we spent four weeks on being word-centered, Christ-focused. We looked at that as our first one uh, because everything else flows from that. It defines the other roots, and it is a source for the other roots. So tonight, we're getting into our second one, and our second root is rooting it, rooted in a transforming faith. Being rooted in a transforming faith. What does it mean to change, to be transformed? What does that look like? Is it possible? Our culture, our society is pretty split on this in a lot of ways. Because on the one hand, you've got the idea that you're fine. You're perfect as you are. You don't need to change. You're fine just the way you are. It's all about your perception. And it's about false guilt and all these other things. On the other hand, you've got about a $12 billion self-help, self-improvement industry in the States, in North America, full of self-help books, full of all these strategies to transform ourselves on every level conceivable, physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, and so on. And so you've got these two different things. I, myself, I love self-help books, especially the ones that have to do with productivity, right? How to organize your desk in 10 steps, how to get to, you know, zero inbox, the GTD stuff. Anyone else out there? Just me. Oh, shoot. Oh, Lee, good, okay. Oh, and Jacob? All right, okay. This whole sermon might not land now. Um, There's a couple of there's a couple of examples as uh, just going through the bookstores. Actually, there's this guy who likes to make fake self-help book covers and then secretly insert them into bookstores. Jacob, can you... Sh- Here we go. Here's one. The Manly Art of Knitting. Classic. Guy on the horse. I'll say these because I don't think they can see them online. What's the next one? How to use silent treatment in a street fight. The Beginner's Guide to Human Sacrifice. 
a step-by-step -step guide to satanic death rituals. You imagine just kind of going through, like, wait a minute, what is that one? How to learn to dress yourself, part of the You Are an Adult series by Agnes Brangles. Is there one more? Oh, there it is. So your son is a centaur, coping with your child's confusing life choices. I think that's it. That was just silly. But I think at least this part of the self-help industry, the self-improvement industry, gets it right. This idea that we need, we deeply long for and yearn for real transformation on multiple levels. The idea that everything's fine, I'm okay, you're okay, there's, there's no need for transformation. I think the culture is getting away from that a little bit, at least. I mean, there is Hitler. That is the easy one, low-hanging fruit. But even more recently, as we look at the news headlines, day after day, week after week, month after month, we've got George Floyd in the States. We've got this rec broad recognition socially that evil is somehow systemically, it, there's a deeper reading of, of our society, that, that evil is systemically involved somehow, that all of us are participants even without realizing it. And it's not just an American problem. There's a difficult and complicated and tarnished history with indigenous peoples in Canada and the question of indigenous rights today. So there's more and more broader recognition that, yeah, there's something wrong. There's something off with us. And it's not just the social, political level. It's also personal. We look at our own lives, and we look at addictions. We look at habits. We look at the broken relationships in our own lives or the, strange, uh, the, the um, strained relationships in our own lives. We find that the closer we get to others, whether it's housemates, co-workers, significant others, partners, spouses. The closer we get, the more things start to come out of the woodwork, right? The more we recognize our own brokenness, the more we recognize the brokenness in others. And it can lead us to despair, especially year after year. Some of us have been alive for decades and decades, and we see the same things coming up again. Is change possible? Sometimes it feels like it doesn't. Sometimes it looks like the science says it isn't. It's biological. It's your DNA. You can't change it. Then there's the pendulum shift the other way, where we tell each other and our kids especially, you can be literally anything you want when you grow up. Anything. My wife pointed out to me this week that this idea is a very privileged idea. Because how do you tell that to someone in the world who's currently in a slave situation or in the sex trade? Or, well, you can fill in the blank with your imagination. How ridiculous it would be to say, well, you can, it's really your choice. You can be whatever you want to be. And between these two poles... You can be anything you want to be or change is impossible. We've got the gospel going right down the middle of those to say, yes, indeed, change is possible. Deep, significant, moral, spiritual change is possible. And to the other extreme, it says, and there are limits. 
There are limits, good limits, on the kind of change. Now, I thought it'd be fun in light of um, in light of my fascination with self-help books. If I gave you um, if I gave you the outline of my next book called Andy's Seven Easy Steps to Deep and Lasting Spiritual Transformation. Anna's giving me the shaking the head. So this is copyrighted. This is mine. But let's try it, just for fun. Seven, I only got 10 minutes, so he's got to go quick, okay? We can talk about it later. Number one, you're broken. Deal with it. This is the assumption of the whole self-help, self-improvement industry. You're broken. We want transformation. We want improvement. This is why we confess every single week, because there's an assumption that, yeah, we are part of a community. We are part of a larger society at which evil is at work. The Christian worldview calls it the world, the flesh, and the devil. It doesn't look at just one space. There's not just one simple answer to where this wickedness or this evil comes from. It is systemic. It is something that um, is just in the background and shapes and colors our assumptions and our behavior that causes us to step back and say, whoa, how am I participating in that evil, in that racism, in that bigotry, whatever the thing is. But it's also individual. This is what the Bible means by flesh. The inner disposition of our hearts. The devices and desires of our own hearts are complicit. Take advantage of the larger systemic evil going on. Take advantage where we can, when maybe we think nobody else is looking. Maybe it's just easy to not acknowledge the, the evil that's there. And then there's the devil, the one that nobody really wants to talk about because it's kind of the weirder one. But it makes sense. If there is a spiritual reality out there behind everything and also having an influence there, does it make sense that some malevolent being or force is back there kind of you know, cranking the evil wheels on society and, and our, us individually? The Bible thinks so. That these three are working and that we have become intertwined with it. Culpable and a part of those systems of evil and brokenness and darkness. And the deal with it part has to do with confession and coming back to a God who is good. And it leads to our second, our second easy step. Acknowledge deep Moral and spiritual transformation is impossible without the source of all life. I got to work on that chapter title because it's a long one. Acknowledge deep and moral spiritual transformation is impossible without the source of all life, a.k.a. God. So Jesus has that, that, um, that talk with Nicodemus, remember, in John 3. And Nicodemus just doesn't get it. And Jesus says, you cannot... Be transformed. You just can't. Apart from, he says, being born again, being born from above. The idea is coming from the source of where God is at. God has to be the one to reach down and transform. Ezekiel the prophet said the same thing, speaking for God. I have to actually go in and do internal surgery and change your heart, replace your heart of stone with a heart of flesh. 
Go back even further to Deuteronomy, and even there it's saying, look, none of these laws, none of these words are going to do any work. I have to write them on your hearts. That's where it has to be at work. It has to transform your motivation and your desire in the, from the inside out. This is that. Acknowledge that that deep moral and spiritual transformation, it has to come from God's presence and God's work inside of us. Third, in light of these things, make a decision. Make a decision to believe in the goodness of God. Make a decision to believe in the goodness of God, to believe in the power of his works and his promises to actually transform us and save us and rescue us from this evil that we're complicit in, from this darkness, right? Some of this is dependent on our belief. It's not that beliefs determine reality as if what I believe about gravity will somehow change the laws of gravity. I'm not saying that. But beliefs determine the way that we engage with that reality. How I'm going to behave, say, at the top level of a skyscraper or at the edge of the Grand Canyon in light of the reality of gravity, right? Cooperate with God in his goodness and his works and his promises. And this is the reality according to the gospel. God has done everything in Christ necessary to make a way for us out of darkness and evil and into life with God and his kingdom. That's, that's the gospel. And our decision to wake up in the morning and remember that and to lean into it and to trust it and then to behave in our lives accordingly, that's our labor, that's our work that we get to do. God did the big work in Christ to reveal himself, to take evil on on our behalf, and to provide a way for us. Our work is to trust. This comes from out of our scripture for tonight. I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, in light of what God has done for you, this has to be the foundation. This is why we started off with God... God's word, God speaks. Word-centered Christ focus. Because here lies our source for getting up in the morning and moving towards real transformation. This is the faith, the trust that has the power to let God in and transform our hearts, write those laws on our hearts the shape of life from the manufacturer of life, the one who came up with it. Four. Halfway there. The deal, this deal, is all-inclusive. you got to be all in. Present your bodies, in light of God's mercy, present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Living sacrifice. A potent image for a first century person who's used to the ritual of sacrifice. 
And it's shifting the object of that sacrifice from the animal that you bring into the self, to put yourself on that and offer up to God. The image is of being lit up on fire yet not being consumed. It's a living sacrifice that goes on living. And the object is our whole selves. The bo- our bodies is, here is our whole selves, our whole life. Mind, spirit, actions, body, everything belongs to God. God demands the whole self. So I know we've said this before all the time. Worship isn't something you just do Sunday evening. This is the place where we orient ourselves for the week of worship, day in, day out. How is all of my life something that bestows worth and dignity towards God? And is in response to his great love and mercy demonstrated towards us in Jesus. This deal is all-inclusive. You've got to be all in. Number five. You are what you eat. So marinate. I'm mixing metaphors here. But still, food, crockpot. You are what you eat, so marinate in the word and the sacraments. We're always being formed. This is the claim of Deuteronomy 6, where God's words are to be literally everywhere. What you talk about when you go in, when you come out, uh, it's on your doorposts, staple them to your forehead, all that stuff. Because Deuteronomy knows what science is telling us, that our brains are plastic. We're literally formed our values and our ideas and our habits by what is around us, by the inputs that we have, by what podcasts we're constantly listening to or Disney Plus show we're, you know, binge-watching at the moment or whatever it is. What Apple logarithm has come up, algorithm for the news feed that you're constantly sifting through or on Facebook or whatever it is. We're being formed by these things. What are you marinating in? If we're going to be all in and transformed, we need to be marinating in very words of God and the sacraments. We celebrate the sacrament of baptism, the sacrament of communion, and these are word images, right? They're things that we get to feel and taste and touch and even consume to help shape us. They're symbols of a larger story that we get to participate in and be transformed by in the activity. I encourage you as a first step, super practical here, bookend your days with 10 to 15 minutes of scripture. Just read through it, through a Bible reading plan or a lectionary. When you get up in the morning, before you go to bed at night. Number six, take off your clothes. Why is it so quiet in here? I got it. You have to have these, you have to have these, you know, grab your attention chapters, chapter headings. We write these kind of books. Take off your clothes. Turn up the heat. Turn up the heat. I like that. Do not be conformed to this world. It's verse 2. Elsewhere, Paul's always using this metaphor of taking off the old self as if you're taking off clothes. The idea is that by default, you wake up in clothes that you have sweated in through your night terrors, 
You still got the, you know, Cheeto stains from, you know, eating the night before while you watch whatever, right? And you got that Zoom meeting in 10 minutes with your boss. You got to take off those clothes. You got to do something. That's the image that by default we're born into something that systemically and individually and spiritually is tainted and broken. And we have to do work to get that off. It's not a clean slate that we start with. Blank, we just kind of add in the things that we think are good and we're good. We have to actively resist the pressure to be squeezed into the mold of this world which is constantly constantly bombarding us with different and alternative stories to the story of God and the gospel. This requires work. You'll be happy to know the final one, number seven, is get dressed. I don't leave you naked. Put on. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Elsewhere in that clothing imagery, Paul's going to say, put on Christ. Put on his character, put on his goodness, put on his good works, because now you can do it. Because God is reaching in, and you're allowing him to transform you from the inside out. You're actively, thoughtfully, engagingly resisting the patterns, the default patterns of the world around us, and the evil caught up in it. And you're actively being shaped by God's words, and putting on the character of God's goodness in Jesus. And putting on these good works. By test, be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Again, steeped in God's story and allowing our imaginations and our minds being transformed. So we know the goal is no longer this thing over here that, that used to be the thing, but now God is transforming my mind and my imagination. And now I can put on a new set of clothing and a new set of works and a new set of character and a new set of virtues and values that are shaping me and a part of who I am. Change very much is possible. And when you come to Jesus broken, humble, and you open yourself up to him, to who he is, to his words and his work in your life. Change isn't just possible, it's inevitable. And it is good. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for the gift of the gospel. We recognize that we have good work to do, that you have done the greatest work. And you continue to do the greatest work in our lives, from the inside out, transforming us. Would you give us a renewed mind, a soft heart for these truths? Would you shape us by your very words tonight, this week, through this series, by your sacraments, these word images where we can taste and see that you are good? A root in us, a trust, a radical and deep trust in your goodness and your works on our behalf. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name.
you guide us Thank you for listening to Table Radio, an extension of the life of the Table Church, a community in Victoria, BC. Our mission together is to love God, love each other, and to love and bless our neighbors so that we may see Christ revealed in common life. Music for this episode provided by the Preparation EP, written and arranged by Coco Relieve, and can be found at thetablechurch.bandcamp.com. To learn more about our community, please go to tablechurch.ca. See you as you are, you open up.